Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, before we get into the latest episode of The Lab with Charlie Eccleshare of The Athletic, I've got a quick request from you. If you could take just two seconds of your time, if you get anything from this podcast, to uh, like us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, wherever you get them, and leave a review if you have the time as well. It really helps. Essentially, it helps us move up the charts in the Spotify and Apple Podcast charts, which means more people can see it, which means... the podcast grows but more importantly it's it's about getting really high level high quality guests on like charlie Eccleshare. and uh if you don't have the time don't worry enjoy the show To another episode of the lab today we're joined by charlie Eccleshare of the athletic um how are you doing charlie i'm good thanks how are you i'm good um i've been i've been i've had a bit of a tooth issue which has kept me up through the night and this is pertinent because i've been lead, reading a lot of your writing recently not that I, i'm always invested in what you're doing obviously because you're writing about my football club but um, but I spent a lot of time in the middle of the night reading your words uh, and it just got me thinking it would be a really interesting conversation to have on the lab about what you think of Tottenham's current state of play. Uh, specifically, the article uh, I'm thinking about is is what went on in January because it wasn't a normal period for Tottenham Hotspur. It certainly wasn't a normal period for football in general. Mm. Um, what, what did you make of Tottenham's transfer window overall? Yeah, I mean, really positive, both in absolute terms and relative ones, because they had a good window. I think just if you were saying, what did Spurs need to do? They did the main things. But then it was 
it was kind of accentuated because everyone else was doing nothing. So I think often in years gone by, Spurs fans have felt the same thing the other way because they felt frustrated not only by the lack of activity that Spurs are doing, but also because that's juxtaposed with a lot of their rivals going out and spending big and, mm. uh, you know, bringing in established players. So, yeah, it was kind of very different from what a lot of Spurs are very different from what a lot of Spurs fans are used to. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was strange. It was odd. It was it was it. The whole thing was odd because I think we 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 knew that there were going to be issues around financial fair play because of what was happening to Everton. And I don't know what I'd like to get your take on this actually. But like, is that was 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 it about was it about finally the 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 Premier League spending rules as well as financial fair play showing some teeth and in punishing Everton. And is that why clubs reacted so carefully to spending money in the champion in in the um, transfer window? Yeah, absolutely. I think the fact that Everton and Forest, um, you know, were being hit by sanctions, and that Everton had already had this um, this points deduction earlier in the season, definitely for the first time, people started to think, oh, maybe this, this actually there will actually be effect. Uh, there will actually be consequences. Yeah. And, 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 you know, this is something Daniel Levy has felt for a long time that, you know, these rules will come in, they will be enforced. And when they are, he wants to be in a position where Spurs are nowhere near, you know, sanctions or anything like that. And you, and you look at some of their rivals who, you know, spent nothing. And Mikel Arteta at Arsenal talked about this, you know, in pretty openly saying, you know, there were things we wanted to do, but we couldn't. Um, mm. You know, obviously Chelsea been well documented that they've spent a huge amount of money they've they have sold a lot of players too but you know clearly they had big issues that they needed to address in january but didn't couldn't um whereas spurs do have that um headroom uh with ffp uh the psr all, all of that kind of thing and it's uh yeah it was a big benefit to them this window yeah i mean obviously it's going to change somewhat in the summer because clubs are going to be given lots of money for tv TV, you know, and, and and global sponsorship of the Premier League, and all, all the ways that the clubs generally are guaranteed money by being as a me- being a member of the Premier League. But everyone's in the kind of the same boat. So if Arsenal perhaps wanted wanted to buy Ivan Tony, a large chunk of that money they're going to get from that will be will be spent on him, which mm. will leave them in a situation there um, that they perhaps won't be able to operate elsewhere in the transfer window if they go big on 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 Tony. Um, what, what is so? So Daniel Levy obviously predicted to some degree and mentioned financial planning and how important that was and how that regulation will come in and, and it will impact the how uh, clubs can operate. Is would you say that it's paying off now the way he has decided to operate at Spurs, despite the criticism that it was aimed at him by sections of the Spurs support towards the end of last season? That it's finally paying off for Daniel Levy and Spurs are in an excellent position. Is that is that a fair assumption? Yeah, they are in a really good position. And you look at things like the stadium revenue um, and, you know, I I think when Spurs weren't doing well, it became a fashionable stick to beat Daniel Levy with. You know, the the club cares more about go-karting and Beyonce concerts than it does results on the pitch. I think what this has slightly shown is that those things are interlinked. And, you know, if you do have those big revenues, which Spurs do, Spurs Spurs bring in huge matchday revenues as well. But also on top of that, all this other stuff... uh, that all contributes to the very healthy financial picture uh, that there is at Tottenham. And, and for sure, you know, I think people, it can seem to a lot of supporters 
almost stubborn, you know, when there have been periods where Spurs haven't spent a lot of money, but, you know, there was the background of the of the stadium build. Mm. And they have spent money as well. I think, you know, it's we're talking about relative to, to clubs that are backed by nation states. Yeah. And so clearly, you know, City, Chelsea, to an extent, distorted what, you know, the expectation was. But yeah, I think now people can sort of understand a little bit more the strategy and why having a self-sustaining model uh, was important um, because they, they are in a really strong financial position. Yeah, it's true. And and, and, and you're right. that I, I remember Dan, reading Dan Levy talking about market makers and market movers and, and, and referring to the likes of what would have been Newcastle, but they've kind of been restricted, but certainly Manchester City and, and Chelsea before them. And... Um, you could sense a frustration from him from his perspective I, I think and you know he was right to, to be that pragmatic but it didn't come without uh, criticism from, from his own fan base and I even got to a situation last year where I was feeling like maybe he isn't the man to take us to wherever we want to be in the next stage but it's been a long six months a lot has gone in into those mm. what, seven months now Um and that transfer window, in the long term, we don't know how successful it will be, but on paper, it looks looks very impressive. Um, what, what did you make of the significance of Tottenham doing business early? Because Postacoglu requested this and it happened, which was almost yeah. groundbreaking. Now, this is like crazy how early they did it. In, in I wrote about this a little bit, but it's so rare. I think since, uh, since and including the 2012 January transfer window, uh, Spurs had had three players signed in January make their debut in January in that entire time. Wow. Lewis Holtby in 2013, mm. Jedson Fernandez in 2020, and Dajuma last year. Three players in, what would that have been, 11 or 12 windows. And then here they were against Manchester United. They had two debutants uh, in playing in one game in January. And it was early in January. It was January the 14th. Um, and those players both arrived in the second week of January. I mean, Spurs just have not done early business in January. They just haven't. Um, I think, you know, the majority of those signings that they've made, which wasn't many in that 12-year period, I mean, we're talking single figures, mm. almost count on one hand, and most of them were signed on deadline day. Um, you know, that's been how they've operated in January. And then, yeah, you had Werner coming in so early, a, a transfer that blindsided pretty much everyone, you know, yeah, and that's rare in as the well. Industry, like, there, was, there was no... Yeah, no, 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 no. There was no whispers about that. Like it came by the sat. I remember because I was taking my son to <laughs> his football and got this message bit about Werner. And often, yeah, when a chance happened, you're kind of aware of it, or you know, you, you you might have heard of it but been steered away, or you might have heard of it and someone said like, yeah, this is this is definitely happening. With this, there was they they played Burnley in the FA Cup on the Friday night. Yeah. No sense of it, no chatter about it. And then, yeah, got the word on Saturday, made a few checks, and it was like, yeah, it's pretty far along. <laughs> and, you know, that, that just doesn't normally happen. Can you articulate or explain how that, why, why is that such a rare thing? Well, I think because once things get known, people talk, you know, yeah. people get excited and people have people they trust and it, it just gets out somehow. Um, but this was a Johan Langer led deal. Um, and, you know, he works with a lot of discretion, a lot of diligence as well. And so it was managed uh, to be kept pretty much in-house. And it was a, it was a German journalist uh, who, who first broke it on that Saturday morning. And by that point, it was more or less 
done you know j- just the final yeah the final bits and pieces and i think that's a you know that's a, a signing um that has divided the face to some extent or at least it would have done had the, had Postacoglu not been the manager i think there is a, an underlying trust that if Postacoglu wants a player which and in this you know he he absolutely did and does i think fans are in a place where some anyway kind of think well if he wants them i kind of trust him because so far his recruitment's been good and he's got a very clear vision of what he wants uh but yeah i think i've said this before you know he he's to to me he's totally fine as a kind of stopgap january signing there's not loads out there he you know i think he'll do a job he's not going to be you know he's not a sun jung min replacement he's a kind of 12th man replace you know yeah. given that brian hill was coming on in a lot of games this season clearly he's a massive upgrade on that um and he'll be a good option off the bench i think squad yeah it's about building a squad yeah, and as you, totally. saw the, you saw the bench you wrote an article about the bench uh and and, and, and the strength of it in one game the week before well, a couple of weeks before that the bench looked completely devoid of anything that could help yeah. possibly and, and suddenly they're all back and and, and things look rosy there's been a, a couple of sort of remarks about people were looking forward to seeing the bench more than they were the first 11 um so uh do you mention about Postacoglu um and the way Spurs have operated previously to how they operated specifically in this window window which was to go early do you think that's just because we had the financial clout to do it and others didn't or was it as much about supporting Ange Postacoglu in what his desires was and they're, they're backing him as much as they can I definitely think the latter thing there is really important yeah I mean as well the, the former is too the financial element but Postacoglu was very clear about this uh, you know from months before I think even in November he was talking about early November the need to go early in the window and to really maximise it and I've always got the sense from the way he talked that the Letting Davinson Sanchez go in September, so after the transfer window had closed in England, so there was no time to find a replacement for him. I always got the sense that was done contingent on proper business being done in January and it being done early. Because he's referenced a few times that that was quite an unusual thing to do, especially in an area where they already felt a little short. I mean, I I remember getting told contact in, in Turkey said he thought, you know, Sanchez um, to Galatasaray was a goer. And so, and this is a few days in September. And my initial thought was, that can't be right. They they, they, they can't sell him, you know, once windows closed. Made a few checks and it was like, yep, yeah, no, that th- this is happening. Um, but yeah, I think he, part of this was the fact that he, he'd been very clear with the club. He'd probably, you know, he'd, he'd, he, he's not stupid. He'd put a bit of pressure on them publicly as well. You know, he's very aware of the meaning of his words. So mm-hmm. that the club were, in, were absolutely in no doubt that this was really important to him. And they really wanted to deliver for him because he has delivered on pretty much everything he's been asked to do so far. And that's really appreciated. Um, and, you know, it worked quite well because it was a chance for Johan Langer to come in and show what he could do as well. His first window, he'd only been at the club a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, and he was aware of how important that was. There is that alignment now between him uh, and Postacoglu, and so I think they did really want to deliver for him, and they did. They did. Um, you just mentioned Langer there. He, he, he was key to the Werner deal, as far as I understand, and but specifically the arrival of Bovall as well, which is an exciting yeah. one for the future. 
Um, what do you make of his role overall? Because as fans, and I was going to ask you about Paratici and, and what you might know there, but as fans, I think, by and large, there are some that are critical of the fact that we're still working with them on an ethical level. But I think the vast majority of fans are really looking at the players that he's brought in over the last couple of years and, 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 and wondering um, what is could Langer deliver in the same way that Paratici has done previously. What, what do you make of his role in his acquisition? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think that's one of the reasons why this window was so interesting and revealing in some ways. Because of what it said about the transfer operation. Because you've got someone like Langer... Uh, who's come in and, and is very well thought of at the club, very serious, um, quite quiet, very data-driven. Um, and, you know, I mentioned that diligence and that discretion, the way he operates, that the word has generally been that it's been, it's felt a bit calmer the, this window, you know, compared to some when you think it was Paratici and Conte who were kind of the, the main protagonists. And Conte, you know, not someone known for his sort of calm demeanor and often you know him and Paratici wouldn't be singing from the same hymn sheet I think their closeness was overstated because of their nationality but you only have to look at kind of Paratici led signings and Conte led ones to get a sense that they had quite different views of the kinds of players yeah. uh, that Spurs should, bring in, should be bringing in but I feel like there's an element of Spurs having their cake and eating it at the moment in a good way and that they've got um, Langer in who has his way of, of operating and then if needed, they've got Paratici kind of there in this consultancy basis who they can lean on when they feel necessary or appropriate. And we saw that with like the Dragushin signing, a player that Paratici brought over to Juventus in his mid-teens. He's, he knows the player, he's, he knows the family, has done for a long time. That's incredibly useful, both his eye for talent and his connections. And so... Uh, yeah, when they feel they want to use that, they can. And those, those two, you know, we saw kind of the best of Langer with Werner and Bergval, who, again, that's making the most of his connections and his knowledge and his background. And then Paratici, uh, it made for a great window. And yeah, I think that's why a lot of fans are quite optimistic about Spurs recruitment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it feels like there, whereas we were somewhat rudderless, or it felt like there was lack of direction, perhaps, or certainly a plan. The one sort of the one sort of thread that was consistent and felt like we were you know we were moving in the right direction was that Paratici was there and he would in the end deliver the players that would be required in order for us to not completely melt down when Conte left. But then obviously he he got his ban 
and then you're like, well, if we really in, it, we're, we're really in a difficult situation now because we've got no head coach, we've got no director of football, we've got Daniel Levy making football decisions again. What's going to happen? And as it turns out, he, Daniel Levy kind of knew what he was doing all along, it seems, or certainly he was reactionary and w- was able to make the right decision. And if you look back at his tenureship at Tottenham, it is when he's under pressure, when he's made a bad decision, that he generally makes the right one. Apostacoglu was uh, obviously, as far as we stand right now, it was definitely a right one. But Parachi is still around. But what's he, what does that mean in real terms as far as you yeah, understand? Well, he's not, um, you know, he's not like in the training ground and running the show like he was before. You know, he would have been a very diff- very visible presence when he was um, managing director of football. He's, as his he's title not allowed was. to be now. I don't know about the the specific scope and you know you still see him at games um, but he's not kind of master of all he surveys that he was before he doesn't have that kind of role but he is allowed you know the scope of the ban because he got Uh, on appeal it got reduced so obviously that's how he's allowed to still work for the club on this consultancy basis Um, and you know that that they they still lean on him and you know Ange spoke recently about how he he's had a few calls with him a few texts with him um, and bear in mind as well, in, in Postacoglu's first summer, there was no sporting directors. Before Langer came in as technical director, um, there was Leonardo Gavanini, who's since left, who was the chief scout at that point. Uh, obviously, he was heavily involved. Uh, and they and they, they lent on Paratici because he's there in this consultancy basis and they didn't have a sporting director. Mm. Um, it will be really interesting to see how this shakes out in the next few years because you've got Langer doing the technical director role. You've got... Paratici there when needed um, and yeah how, how does that how is that labour divided how many signings you know how, how many signings are they leaning on Paratici for does there come a point at which uh, he does less or he's doing too much uh, in you know some people's eyes it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see what's Langer's official role do you know that he's, he's technical director okay so does that usurp a, a director of football is it the same but, it's not quite like it's not so his role is not quite as senior i guess as what paratici was but the a big difference as well is since paratici i uh, was there scott munn's come in uh, as chief football officer and he is who everyone all footballing departments answer into him um so he but he's more senior than what paratici was mm. um when he was there he he's you know he's almost levy's number two i suppose yeah, yeah. I mean, it was interesting that he put that, Daniel Levy put that division between him and the football side of, of of the business and just concentrated on the revenue. It's almost like the best version of events that could happen. You want Daniel Levy there in order to deliver the and maximise in revenue in order that, so that the club can spend accordingly. It remains to see how, how much of an advantage that gives us over the years, but it's we're in a better position for it, I think. Um Dragerson and Bergwall both chose Tottenham and uh, sorry chose Bayern, Tottenham over Bayern and Barcelona respectively. Is that a symptom of this new operating system that we've got at Spurs? That or what? What? What do you think motivated them to do that? It's a massive statement, um, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. I mean, I think partly it is the Postecoglou factor, and he is amazing at having these conversations with prospective signings. You yeah. know, selling a vision. Um, but he's very good at doing that. I think it's kind of um, a virtuous cycle, like you know, because they've had. I think young players can see that young players do get a chance 
at Spurs. You know, if you're if you are a young player coming in, it's not hot air because Ange can say, "Well, look at Mickey Van der Ven, look at Papsar, look at Destiny Doggy. If you're good enough, you're gonna get regular starts for me." Um, which is massive. And then other younger young players will see that and, and believe in it. And then they will get their chance and others will see it as well. I think as well, we shouldn't uh, underestimate the kind of pull of the Premier League. Um, you know, financially, I know Bayern were offering more um, than what Spurs were, but the, the Premier League is so big and dominant. I do think that gives teams quite a big advantage because you know, you're looking, the Bundesliga just doesn't have that same depth because it doesn't have the same resources. And so the Premier League does hold a lot of excitement for these young players, but it's it's a massive statement and it does speak to the importance they're placing on signing young talent. And that's, and you know, again, they can point to a record the last few years that has been their policy. Um, and yeah, Postecoglou was talking about it uh, the week before last, about how he wants Spurs to become the kind of premier destination for uh, young talent and mm. great start in that in that mission. Yeah, and with the way, way financial fair play is going, that buying players late in, later in their years has greater implications other than just whether or not you can, um, y- you know, generate money from them. Mm-hmm. Tony's a massive state. I keep going back to Ivan Tony because we kind of need a number nine. Maybe I know Richarlison's found some form, but but but. But investing in a 28-year-old expensive number nine with the way things are is such a massive wedge to, to, uh, of money to, 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 to commit. Anyway, um, so uh, there was this, uh, there was this uh, sorry, the signing of Burval, that's what I wanted to talk about. How impressive was that uh, because of the, the kind of the hype around him and as far as you know and the people you've talked to what, what do you make of him as a signing and how quickly do you reckon we'll see him at Spurs there's like, a lot of excitement about him I mean and and again like when so the noise is coming towards the end of the January transfer window that Barca were very much the front runners that they'd been lining this deal up for a long time and you know typically when Barca are doing that especially with someone that young mm. you you know you know the odds are against you um, but Spurs were able to come in and persuade him that he'd be better off joining them. And it probably helps that Barca have been a bit of a basket case in the last few years. But yeah, the the reports are really good about him, both as a player and as a person, um, which is so important, again, for Postacoglu and for the club in general, that he has seemingly the right temperament, um, good family around him. He's a kind of energetic midfielder with great technique. The idea is that he's going to be part of the first team squad next season. So he's got a few months... um, Still playing in Sweden for Jug- how do you pronounce that? I don't. Know. I don't think anyone. I think it's a tricky one. It's a tricky yeah, one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for Jugoden. Uh Yeah. So, and, and then yeah. So then first team squad by next season. By by which time he only you know he only just turned eighteen. So mm. there is a lot of excitement about him. They really do think he's quite a special um, player and a person. Yeah, it, yeah, it, both things are crucial. I, I, I'd imagine, and and it's you, you could you, you look look back at the Raya um, when we was looking at potentially bringing in Raya, and it was a quote or comment that he didn't specifically mention Raya by name, Apostolikogli, uh, but he said that if it was felt like the player was more interested in leaving Brentford than he was joining Tottenham, he didn't mention Brentford or or Tottenham, and I'm joining some dots here, but Vicario by and and, and he's directly quoted to saying, you know, I would have walked and signed in blood 
to join for Tottenham. So that mental mental aspect is se- seemingly crucial. Um, yeah. So why did he? What is it that Spurs had in order to convince um, Bergwijn to come to? Tottenham how will we be able to usurp it I'm not saying he, he might have been convinced by the project and, and Postacoglu but was it Langer's influence in Scandinavia that helped us there or do, is it hard to t- tell yeah there's that there's definitely that connection and I do think it's similar to what I was saying before about the fact that Postacoglu can point to Papsar and Udogi and Van der Ven and those guys um, you know and say look you will get your chance and they've just signed Dragushin as well um mm. I, I do think that makes a massive difference and and there is that trust there is that connection um with Langer and I do think they really bought in to what Postacoglu was saying and and just the fact that he can point to his record and he you know he 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 comes across uh with with new signings as very straight talking he's very clear in his vision and he's very very good at knowing the situation the exact situation that the player and the person is in you know i think you know what it's like if you go for a job interview or whatever and either you're the person who's kind of trying to show that you really get the company or you're the company trying to recruit the person they want it it makes a massive difference if you get a sense that actually know who you are and what you're about um and that's something he's exceptionally good at Kulisevsky's obviously carved a career, isn't he, in 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 the Premier League with Spurs, and no doubt had a big influence. Um, so overall, you'd feel like Spurs are, are moving in the right direction. Just to sort of summarise on where yeah. you're at, yeah, massively. I mean, in the in the five years since I've been covering the club, this feels like definitely the most optimistic point. Um, I mean, though we shouldn't rewrite history. I mean, you know, summer of 2022, they just got top four. Um, everyone really you know Conte seemed to be doing a great job they signed a lot of players that window as well so may- maybe that's a bit of recency bias but the the alignment between kind of manager and recruitment and the fans and the club as a whole just feels really really there like everyone is pushing in the right direction I, I just struggle to see how Postacoglu won't be a success in the long term just because he has such a clear vision there's so much buy-in from the players and fans mm. um they're well resourced. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I really, I really back him to continue to do a great job. Um, so that that's kind of where we're at with what happened in in, in January and, and where we're at as a club. But I just wanted to pick you up on a couple other things you wrote about recently, uh, namely the uh, defending of corners and whether Vicario and Tottenham have an issue with it. So mm. we're talking on the Fighting Cock, which is a sister podcast of this. And we were saying that, I was saying, that you've seen this happen before. I've seen this play out many times where there's a, reputa- a keeper has a reputation of being a bit flappy or flaky at corners and they put a man on him. It's, it's quite common. And I don't understand why it's such a story around Spurs specifically at the moment. Um, yeah. What, what, what do you make of it? I mean, Spurs, it's interesting looking at the numbers, like Spurs haven't conceded loads of set-piece goals this season uh in fact in the premier league only four teams have kept uh, have conceded fewer though there is a cluster that have conceded the same as spurs but either way that you know they're doing well what's interesting though is set piece set piece uh, expected goals against spurs have conceded the third most uh which suggests you know they're giving up the third most amount of chances from set pieces and i guess to, to a large extent are then indebted to either opposition being wasteful or vicario's reflexes from close range which he should you know think of that nottingham forest yeah uh, chance back in, at, the, at the end of that game. That's quite a good example. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I suspect it's something that's quite that's probably going to be fairly fleeting. These things often are that they're a big talking point for a time, and then, um, you know, the the club works out a way to deal with it. And clearly, having someone on the man trying to get to Vicario feels like a good tactic and we saw a bit of that in the Brighton game I mean it was it was kind of mad in in the Everton game that Harrison was able to just be on Vicario seemingly with no one doing anything or anywhere near him Um, and it's interesting as well because he for that piece I spoke to a few goalkeeping experts and one of them was saying that Vicario was really good on a lot of the corners. The problem is, as a goalkeeper, I mean, it's the classic thing as a goalkeeper, isn't it? That if you, you know, you can make eight saves, but if you make one error, that's all anyone really cares about. Uh, and in this game, because Spurs conceded two from set pieces, and, and, and I think because it was such a dominant talking point from that game, like that first half, it did feel like there were two games going on. One in open play and one when Everton had a corner. And it was just like... It, it was it, there was a lot going on at them. Yeah, the Sean Dyche, isn't it? He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's brilliant at that, and especially exactly. the physical aspect of it. But you, and remember, off the back of the City game as well, where yeah. they scored their winner that way. So, so I, so I, I regardless of Vicario had made uh, made the error for or Aki or he was fouled, I, I think it would have been soft if it get, the referee did give a foul. So that's fine. But regardless of whether that or not that had happened, Dyche would have hundred percent done the same thing. And that was my what I was a bit confused by the Ferrari. Now it's even bigger, and, and and to be fair, like you know, it was two set pieces that we conceded. But it was, there was a moment in the second half where he cl- he claimed two crosses from corners. Yeah, uh, he did one really late on in the game as well. Yeah, um, just before just before Everton equalised actually, and I thought. Yeah, that would have really kind of flipped that narrative. Yeah, and then we concede. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, then it's, and then it's back on with a vengeance. <laughs> and then finally, I just want to get your take on the... Um, it was a really interesting article about the hamstring injuries under Ange Postacoglu. Obviously, we had more than our fair share. Although there seemed to be like a bit of an injury crisis across the Premier League. So I don't know if it was mm. to do with the stop-start nature of VAR or the, the added 10 minutes a game that we had an early on in the season. Um, but there was... There is a pattern with Postecoglou's football and muscle injuries in the first instance. What was it sort of? What was the? How did you summarize that article? Yeah. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, it was really interesting. I found doing the piece really interesting because I spoke to a lot of uh, experts in that kind of sports science, um, strength and conditioning kind of world. And clearly, you know, the numbers are pretty stark and, and it is so similar to what happened in his first season at Celtic. It's kind of eerie, like multiple hamstring injuries. It was a big talking point then. It's a big talking point again now. So there are a couple of things. One is the intensity of Postacoglu's training. Um, and the other thing is the kind of acclimatization to that intensity. And one of the guys I spoke to um, who works in this world said... His research has shown that there there often is a spike when you get a new manager in muscular injuries because even if they're not like Postacoglu, it's about getting used to a new manager. And there are so many little ways that can change the training, you know. And even 
are the medical staff as familiar with the new manager as they might be? You know, as, as if you're medical staff, as you get to know a manager well, you get to know when he's pushing the players too hard or when his mood suggests that actually he might think, let's just go a bit longer or he might get carried away or those sort of things. Once you get to know a manager, you might be able to spot that and say, you know, just remember what happened last time, et cetera, mm. et cetera. So it's all this kind of perfect storm. And a lot of players as well. As much, Yes, Postecoglou had a full preseason with the players, but bear in mind, a lot of players would have come back late from international duty. Any new signings who came, you know, Brennan Johnson, for instance, he's not getting a preseason with with Ange. So a lot of players are really getting used to it. And we've seen that because there have been a high number of muscular injuries. The, the, the encouraging thing is that at Celtic, it did all calm down after this kind of period. And I think that's very much the hope and expectation at Spurs too. So it's their bodies adapting to a different way of, or a different requirement, physical requirement. So completely short explosive movements as opposed to perhaps the, the... Well, well on, under Conte for instance sessions were often longer but they were a lot less intense so you're dealing with a whole new different way of, of working and, and you know even when a new manager comes in they might change the days of the week that you train or the intensity on certain days and one of the guys said likened it to me he said you know imagine you're someone who runs fairly regular 5k's and you're used to doing it four days in a row, then you have a day off. Then suddenly you're doing it two days, day off, two days. And instead of running on the road, you're running on beach. He's like, that, that's kind of, you know, that's yeah. going to feel like a really big change to you. And, and it stands to reason that there might be some teething troubles early on. And I think that's broadly speaking what's happened um, at Spurs. And the, the thing is as well, like with everything, Poscoglu is very uncompromising. So he's not someone who's going to look at the those number of hamstrings and say, hamstring injuries and say, okay, well, let's tweak things. He's going to carry on. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it should be said, this is a league-wide issue. I think last last year's World Cup, it seems a big reason for this because it completely upset everyone's rhythm um, and there wasn't any longer off-season to compensate. Um so th- those are kind of the the biggest reasons. And yeah, the extra, you know, the added time, the fact that generally there's more football now, you know, you, what do you do after you have, you finish your busy season, you go and play internationals, then you have a couple of weeks off and then you're going traveling halfway across the world uh, for a preseason tour. It's just relentless. Um, yeah. So that's, that's why, that's the, the broader context that yeah. this is happening in. And finally, I didn't have this on the running order, but Ben Tencourt is um, currently going through a bit of a difficult patch in terms of form. Um, and, you know, the, I think there was a little, we were perhaps all a little bit naive because he, he came back and he was excellent and we were in a really difficult spot as well. But ACLs take a long time to get over, even when you're back playing again, to, to kind of regain a level of form that you once had is is, is going to take time, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think everyone after that United game where he was brilliant and scored was kind of like, oh, he's he's back. He's back to his best. Great. That was quick. Um, the reality is with this sort of thing, I mean, A, a lot of people will say it's not until the following season after a player returns from an ACL that you really see them get back to that kind of level consistently. So there's that. And also, I just think even if you know, even if the month by month trend is pointing upwards, within that there are going to be some ups and downs. It's not just going to be a constant, um, you know, constant progress. And I think we've seen that a bit. You know, he was brilliant against United. That doesn't necessarily, you know, he's coming back from such a serious injury and injuries either side of the ACL as well. You know, it's not like you know he was he bet he he was out for a month or so before he did it. Then he came back and in his first start back, for fourth appearance back, he got that ankle injury against Villa. Um, 
But I wrote about this uh, for a piece this morning, actually. The great thing about it is that he probably does need a rest, but it's not like in previous years where Spurs couldn't give rest to their best players. Like They've got Yves Basuma, mm-hmm. who, you know, for the first few weeks of the season was like the best midfielder in the Premier League and has been great at Brighton. It, that's a really good replacement to have. Like, if Benton Cole needs a rest or needs, you know, a game off, that's totally fine. Spurs can do that and without a big drop-off. I don't think... I don't know what our best midfield is, so and, and that's which really is fine. Great that's that's kind of how it should be, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I wonder if Basuma is the the answer at six as opposed to Bentancourt, but we'll see. Um, thank you so much for giving us your time once again, Charlie. Um, if you want to see Charlie's work, then you should subscribe to the Athletic, uh, and it's not just Charlie. There's a series of amazing journalists that are writing about Spurs and the quality of the content. Obviously, everyone knows what the Athletic are about now, but the quality of the content is amazing. Although they're not the best Spurs podcast, I will, uh, I will, I will <laughs> withhold my praise that far. Uh, thank you very much, Charlie. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Network.